Well, thanks everyone for coming out on this uh, not uh, awesome weather night uh, to listen to us talk about politics. We appreciate it. So uh, I, I am Mike, and this is Jay. And I was saying before we, ste we stepped off that uh, just by looking at the way we're dressed, you might get a sense of our ideological predispositions. Uh, a little bit here, but but anyway, thanks thanks so much for coming. And uh, Jay, if you're ready, I thought we could just start right in. Okay, well, just a regular show. Let's do it. Well, you know, I thought we'd open with the aftermath of that really tragic synagogue shooting in Pittsburgh, which of course left 11 people dead. And the shooter uh, was a, a pretty clearly was an anti-Semite who just before the shooting posted about the the group uh, Hias, the uh, Hebrew. Immigration Aid Society, and that's a nonprofit that helps to resettle refugees in the United States. And for those who don't know, his post read, he also likes to bring invaders that kill our people. I can't sit by and watch my people get slaughtered. Screw your optics, I'm going in. And in the wake of the shooting, you know, many people, especially on the left, argued that President Trump's very uh, aggressive anti-immigrant rhetoric might have actually contributed to some extent to this incident. And of course, it's a charge that the president has vehemently denied, and he turned it back on the media saying that once again, they are the enemy of the people, something he said a number of times now in the past, and they're really the problem. So I think that kind of, kind of summarizes you know, where we're at with this. And so Jay, what are your thoughts? Well, you know, I guess um, the, the first thing is, if Trump is going to be the target, is, or if you're going to say that um, Trump's rhetoric fuels anti-Semitism, he's sort of a, a weird suspect pick on that. I think there's a lot of things you certainly can say about uh, Trump. I think, I think the misogynist label, I think that fits pretty well. Sure. Um, uh, racist. Uh, you and I have talked about this before, whether Trump is a racist or whether uh, he has just at times uh, been silent when he, when he should have spoken up or been willing to divorce with people. Um, but I mean, I think those sort of char charges stick better uh, as opposed to uh, anti-Semitism when he has a son-in-law, son his daughter actually converted to Judaism, his grandchildren are Jewish, uh, and he's, he's been a very strong friend of Israel. He actually did move the, the uh, embassy to Jerusalem as, as he had promised, um, and he was pretty clear why well, shouldn't say um, eventually he got there yeah. in, in terms of his condemnation saying this is absolutely outrageous we need to prosecute find this person prosecute him to the full extent of the law spare no effort in bringing him in um, so I, I do see some some opportunism on the left well well from, you know I, I sort of this I sort of agree with you in the sense that it depends on how you frame this and, and I think in the charges of anti-semitism you're right that's a, that's a much more difficult case to make, but given the strong immigration timing, given that that last statement that that guy made, this wasn't just about anti-Semitism. This is about anti-immigrant, our country, they're going to kill our people. And I mean, the president has, well, since he was a candidate, has been pretty strong in talking about our country and our people and these murderers, rapists and bad folks. And it seems to me that, that how can you he said, he said, hear he said, that? He said the, uh, the Mexicans in Trump Tower made the really good taco salad. Well, there you he go. Did, so he did, he did have that post. Um, there are some good ones. Yeah, yeah. no, I, I, and I, and I get where you're coming from on that, but uh, I think the the difference is, and I, I think this 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 Bowers who committed the shooting allegedly, um, but but apparently, um, 
I mean, he, this is someone who is, is mentally deranged or is, or is so, so filled with hate. And I'm not making a judgment as far as a, a legal insanity defense theory or something like that, but so filled with hate. Uh, and it seemed very specific uh, towards, towards Jews, not a general, I'm anti-immigrant, I'm anti, uh, I mean, he didn't voice any concerns about the caravan coming, coming up uh, from but, Central America. Right, but that and, and I understand there's, there's like, well, then to some extent, they both mention refugees or resettlement. Um, but I, I, think it's, I think it's a stretch. And I think, I think the, the media and the left sort of overplay their hand a little bit when they, when they make these statements or trying to, to tag Trump with this. And I understand, I mean, because, again, the media is sort of an echo chamber. I think a lot of voters out there say, eh, look, I'm not, I'm not seeing this. And, again, you, you can say a lot of things about Trump. I think the um, misogynist label, again, sticks pretty firmly. These other things that, um, but, but I think this is a tough one. I think the other thing is, I think Americans in general are reluctant to, uh, I would say most Americans. There's, there's certainly folks on the right and the left, the, the partisans who, are, who do this all the time and do this for a living, um, are certainly willing to go out and lay blame uh, on the other side for doing this. But I think most Americans realize that, look, there's, there's an amount of crazy in, in the country that you can't control. Uh, you can make a criticism saying, listen, maybe the, these, the rhetoric is maybe giving some sort of tacit permission to the crazies to do more or encouraging them. Um, but at, at, at base, I, I, I think most people see this as this is one uh, crazy, sick person who did yeah. this, and it's not a... Well, yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you, but I think it's not as black and white either Donald Trump is essentially responsible or he bears no responsibility at all. I think even, I mean, you, you more or less said that in saying, well, you know, there are these people who are clearly deranged and who are on edge and an environment can right. kind of put them... You know, well, I mean, you, you look, you and I realize there are probably plenty of deranged people who listen to our show. Well, yeah. um, so, present company excluded. Yes, of course. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I think that's... That's something, yeah, most, most politicians um, operate with that in mind, right? They're a little crazy. Yeah, but he's not most politicians. Uh, that there are folks out there who, who will take things literally or misunderstand things or, uh, I, I mean, look, again, uh, I, you know, Charles Manson, uh, you know, tried to start a race war because he thought the Beatles told him to do it. Um, you know, I mean, John Hinckley but, thought, thought Jodie Foster wanted him to, to co Reagan. So, I mean... Sure. But there wasn't a president of the United States essentially egging him on. Right. You well, know, a president who says, hey, I'll pay the legal fees for someone who beats up these folks. Right. Who but, but, let's, me, yeah. but let's... I think there's a, a big difference between uh, that sort of excess rhetoric uh, made in the campaign speech and something that, that would uh, encourage someone to come out, go out and commit this sort of, this sort of violence. And my other sense is from, from what, what Bowers had, had written on his page, he was not actually much of a Trump fan. He, he thought Trump was Trump sort was of... too soft. <laughs> exactly, uh, yeah. 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 Um, so, uh, again, I, I, what, what I think you can fault Trump on, and I, maybe fault's the wrong word, um, he didn't do the typical thing that you do, which is the first words out of your mouth are, this is terrible, uh, express sympathy. Uh, we're gonna, his, his first yeah. words were... Um, man, if they'd had an armed guard, this wouldn't have happened. Exactly. So again, it's, it's, it's a very insensitive uh, uh, thing that comes off. But, you know, I was thinking about this to, to some extent, Trump, and you and I talk about this for forever. Is he playing, you know, four-dimensional chess? Um, well, the other, the other uh, you know, <laughs> model I thought of, you know, growing up, I was a, and still am a big Peter Sellers fan. But it, it's sort of like almost Inspector Clouseau. Okay. 
You know what I mean? And the sort of like this absolutely bumbling idiot who who screws everything up. Okay. <laughs> but 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 no, but still always solves the crime. And there's you know there's sort of these in the movies this thing of like, look, is he really a bumbling idiot, or is he sure. just so brilliant that he's? And I think Trump may be sort of a bumbling idiot, but it still works out for him. Yeah. So for example, I mean, when he when he says something like that, the first thing out of out of his words out of his mouth is, "Man, he should have had a security guard." Um, you know, my breath is like, oh my god. Yeah. You know, you're taken aback. Uh, that's horrible. What a terrible, tasteless, insensitive thing to say. I, I mean, but, I, I, but you I remember just, it. Yeah, you know, I don't think he's a bumbling idiot. I think he's very smart, but I just think he's a fundamentally an incredibly broken man who happens to be president of the United States, which, geez, that's well, a that's yeah, no, no, scary no, no doubt about that. But. Yeah. So, you know, and the other thing I wanted to bring in uh, related to this was this idea of, of nationalism, right? And earlier, you know, earlier in the week or the week before, Trump at a rally said, you know, he was proud to be a nationalist and the crowd went wild, of sure. course, and they're all nationalists. And, and, and to me, that just kind of sent some shivers down my, down my spine. I'm guessing your reaction was maybe, I don't know, a, a little bit different. But to me, that, that sort of setting us as the superior, you know, European Americans, because when he talks about us, that's, that's the code, that's what he's talking about, as compared to these, these brown and black people who are trying to invade us, and most of them are bad hombres or what have you, and they're less than. And I have a big problem with that. I, I think that's kind of coming from you and I, and again, we've got some, sort of an academic background in this, sure. as far as what nationalism means and how has it been used and so forth. Um, to the average, average voter, the average guy on the street, I think what they understand him to mean is he's going to put America's interests before other countries, uh, and they applaud that. Um, I don't think they think of, of nationalism the way, for example, you and I might, you know, thinking back of, of you know, German nationalism or, or the nationalist yeah. movements uh, of the 1920s, in America, which which had this very, you know, different sort of, I guess, sort of a nastiness. Well, yeah, and, 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 and that's my point, is that it seems to me that Trump's nationalism is a nationalism based not on pride, but on hate. And that's, I think, what the audience, what his, what his rallies are responding to, that, that hate, because hate's incredibly energizing, and I could just, I, I don't know, maybe it's just me, but I feel that hateful energy in the crowds, and that's what sends a shiver down my spine. I, you know, I, I, this is probably one of these areas where we, where we fundamentally disagree, and Mike and I fundamentally disagree on a lot of things. Um, I, I, just don't, I just don't see it that way as that, because I... Having worked, I've, uh, for those of you who don't know, our regular listeners, I mean, I've done a lot of work uh, on political campaigns for Republican candidates, uh, various causes, various uh, statewide issues. Um, and I don't, I don't see that, that hate. Now, again, the rallies, there's something that, that rubs me the wrong way, right? And there's something that probably rubs you the wrong way. And I think um, uh, Jonah Goldberg, uh, National Review, has, has observed that sort of the conservatives tend to get this sort of there's there's really nothing good that comes out of like a really excited crowd most of the time. Uh, it, it just, you know what I mean? It's just a, oh, yeah. you know, no, anytime yeah. you, you see, uh, you know, people cheering, clapping in unison, um, there's the sense of like, oh, this isn't going to, this isn't going to end well. Um, uh, so I, I think you and I react to that sure. and more you than, than me. Um, but to a lot of these folks, they're going, I don't think they're engaging in, in hate. It's more like, the same sort of, you know, cheering and clapping if you're going to a rock concert, right? It's like, hey, this is fun. We're all here together. No. I, I don't get the, 
Um, you, I mean, I think, I think uh, liberals tend to see Nuremberg, the rallies, not the trials, uh, and conservatives tend to see more the the Olympics, or the, you know what I mean? That, that sort of nationalism. That, that sort I, I of, wish it felt you know more, what I mean? Yeah, I, and I think that's a, that's a positive nationalism. Yeah. But, and and I, like I said, I, I think you're right that we just kind of are seeing this, this same thing very, very differently at that basic level. But, you know, kind of related to that and, and, and moving along, you know, that whole issue of, speaking of hate and immigration, <laughs> right? I mean, no, the Central American caravan thing, right? He, I mean, he continues to stoke fears about this, right? Well, uh, that, I, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, is, is it stoking fears when we're saying, listen, there are 7,000-ish people who are Let's, heading to our border. Well, yeah, but he's I mean, not saying fine. that. He's not, he's not reporting that. Well, there are seven. No, he's saying these are some bad people, and we're going to have the military there. And, oh, by the way, if they throw a stone, that's going to be like having a gun, and we're going to – I mean, and there's, an, there's, an, there's a picture he's painting of this, and it's a scary, hateful picture. And, you know, this, this idea of we need – what's 5,200 troops that are going to be coming in, and he's clearly – Well, he's like 15,000 now. You know, I wouldn't be surprised, right? Because he wants people to get this image that there's going to be this armed border, you know, totally disregarding the fact that the military, by law, is prohibited from doing that. All they're doing is logistical support, or at least all they're doing under sure. the law. But that's not the image he wants. He wants his base to think, we're going to have men with guns and bayonets at that border, and if one of those, one of those Central American comes through, well, they're going to get what for? And that, to me, is a hateful message. Well, I, I think it's also, though, a message, and I mean, let me, let me put it to you, from, from the left standpoint, uh, if you have this mass of people coming to the country, um, they want to come in, uh, there's no, for at least the, most of them, they're not going to qualify for asylum. There's no, there's no real claim for asylum. There's no uh, real reason that they ought to be able to cross. They've crossed several borders illegally. Uh, what do you do? Well, I think that that's a great question, and I think you have to work with the laws that you have on the books. And so if we want to change the laws regarding asylum, but you're, I mean, they're allowed to make that request, and they are entitled to have that claim sure. adjudicated. And so if Congress wants to but, pass the but law, if, if they try, if they try to cross the border, though, they would still be subject to being apprehended. Sure. Not, by, that, not by the military. And, right, not right. by the military. But, yeah, and yeah. That's, that's perfectly, you know, that, that's perfectly within the law. And so, but that, that's, the law is far too inconvenient for the president, and he wants to do all kinds of things just by executive fiat. I mean, the latest right being essentially that whole crazy idea about, well, 14th birthright, Amendment notwithstanding, I can just go ahead and end birthright citizenship through executive order. And Paul Ryan, you know, says, well, no, you can't. And then Donald Trump calls Paul Ryan an idiot. Well, I know who I'm with on that side of the argument, even though I'm no Paul Ryan fan. There's, well, there's actually an interesting argument about this. And this is one of these things where Trump, I, I can't tell whether he is really thought this through, or just he, uh, he made these, these crazy <laughs> I think statements. I think you know the answer to that. Hey, well, no, he made these crazy statements, but it's, it's going to uh, come back to work to his, uh, his betterment, really. Um, not betterment, I guess. Uh, that would, that's, that's not what I meant to say. Work to his advantage sure. wouldn't actually make him a better person. That's, that's what all it of would, it's about, is working to Trump's advantage, right, but country I, but and I, party be damned. I mean. but so uh, there, there is the argument that... Uh, birthright citizenship is not the 14th Amendment, I think is, is not, I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a winning argument. <laughs> yeah, I should hope not. I think it's, no, I think it's going to lose, but I think it's a non-frivolous argument. 
I think you can make the, you can make the case. And again, I think, I think you lose on the case okay. for a bunch of reasons. Um, but the, the 14th Amendment, and this is, this is kind of where it might be almost, almost brilliant. Um, the language is really clear. It says all natural, you know, born uh, persons right. shall be citizens. Um, and then it goes on to say, uh, subject to the jurisdiction, jurisdiction thereof, yeah. So the, the argument goes that, uh, well, when uh, Senate was, Congress was, was debating this amendment before it was, was ratified by the states in the 14th Amendment, post-Civil War, um, there was discussion as to, well, does this mean people who are here as, as foreign nationals, for example, ambassadors? Right. Uh, they're subject to the laws of another country. They're here visiting. They're here on behalf of their government. They're um, not citizens. Exactly. Yeah. So the, the sense was, well, no, it wouldn't apply to them. Uh, would it apply to Indian tribes, which are their own sovereign nations? And I said, well, no, it probably wouldn't apply to them. Um, and there was a case um, in the uh, early... Uh, 20th century. Is it think about the 1898 case? Where, or, yeah, it's, it's, um, and I forget, uh, the, I forget no, the name, no, no, but no, I know no, the I, case, yeah. Um, uh, Wong, Wong Kim Ark, uh, U.S. versus uh, Wong Kim Ark. And in that case, uh, what the court said, and, and it's really, it's, it's absolutely fascinating because I, I read this the other day, preparation, we do some preparation, something. There you go, yeah. Um, <laughs> what the court did, and it, it's sort of an exhaustive thing, and what it looked at English law because so much of what comes in our constitution, we say, look, we are a common law country, so we adopt uh, sort of the English common law, common law way of looking at things. Um, and their whole analysis was sort of, sort of what we just said. They looked at whether you are a sort of allegiant to the sovereign of, of a certain country, whether you're subject to laws. Uh, talked about a whole lot of, well, if you are a uh, British uh, citizen, uh, British subject. Uh, here in America, under British law, you could still inherit uh, because you were still British, So there, there was, there was, which was a big deal back then. Um, and they said, look, um, this uh, person, um, their name, uh, Wong, Wong uh, Kim Ark, um, was born in the U.S., uh, his parents were here uh, as essentially legal residents. They weren't citizens. Uh, they're essentially what the, the equivalent today would be. They had the green card, uh, were working here. Um, went back to China. He came back, uh, was stopped at the border, and he said, hey, I'm a U.S. citizen. I, yeah, I was I born, born here. here. And they said, okay, sure. Um, and then he went back to China another time, and it's, it's a, a long, complicated thing. Um, but eventually, what, what the, the court said, and there were two dissents, uh, is, look, you've got somebody here who was a, a resident, which was a, a, uh, within the jurisdiction of the United States, uh, because they weren't working for a foreign government. They weren't here right. on behalf of a foreign yeah. government. Uh, they weren't the subject of a foreign government, although you could say, well, there's also sort of a dual citizenship, dual subject, because they're still sort of uh, the subject of, of uh, China, China yeah. um, and that's that's you know how they came out. So the argument is, well, look, these were folks who were not here illegally; they were still here legally. If you're here illegally, are you the subject? Are you subject to the jurisdiction of that country? Now, I, I think it, I, I, I think the answer comes out that that you still are. Yeah, I would say so because you're still part of the laws and protections, and um, moreover, just the precedential weight that we've had sure. for for hundreds of years. There's another case. Um, in 1804, again, this is, you know, 
burst out of the gate Supreme Court where, where uh, uh, Justice Marshall sort of makes the, makes the same sort of argument and no one ever disputed him that, uh, and it's just kind of, it's not, doesn't really, the case doesn't revolve on it. It's just kind of dicta where he says, look, it's obvious that people who were born here um, are citizens. citizens. And again, that's, that's pre-14th Amendment, yeah. obviously. But, so. but you know, to me, the, big, the bigger issue is, is all of this, I mean, all of this stuff, and, and we're going to get to this in, in just a minute here, but all of this stuff that the president is doing, now it fits in, obviously, to his longstanding view on immigration, meaning less is better, especially sure. from people from uh, Central America, essentially. But, but also, it's playing right into what some people are saying is maybe a four-dimensional chess midterm election strategy, and none of this stuff is he knows, maybe he doesn't know, I don't know, I, I'm done trying to figure out what's going on yeah. inside that man's head, but that he knows that none of this is actually going to happen, it doesn't matter, he doesn't care about the humiliating defeats that he's going to suffer when this comes before the courts, it's just about getting the base ramped up for the elections, and he feeds off that energy of the crowd, and whatever he can do to get the crowd whipped up and that's that's what he's going to do because that's as far as his horizons extend yeah. although there have been a lot of uh, republicans who have uh, i mean paul ryan notably uh, who have really sort of and, and i'll tell you this privately republicans involved in campaigns who are sort of like you know base well, plan sure. sort of yeah. thing when he when he does it sort because sort of the you know the, the it sort of broke the momentum if nothing else that the the caravan coming to the border okay that's good because he can still be strong in immigration uh, and also, I would say most Americans see that as a problem. They do see that as, I don't know if you want to call it a threat, but again, for so often the media was saying, oh, come on. Remember, if you remember like months ago, Trump was talking about caravans and he was kind of like, oh, that, that. Um, and then, then we had one show up in the summer uh, and now we've had another. Um, so in that respect, he was, he was winning that argument and Republicans were getting momentum off the Kavanaugh nomination. Um, and then he went and did this, where, again, most Americans, I think, uh, have the sense of, no, we, we have a real problem with 7,000 people just coming across the border. Um, but they don't have a problem with birthright citizenship, which has been the law of the land right. for hundreds of years. And everyone has just always assumed that, you know, when, when he says something like that, that's sort of the face, the face plan. I don't know. To me, to me, the way I would look at it, and certainly this is not within Donald Trump's worldview, but to say, isn't this a beautiful thing? We have thousands of people suffering through all this, traveling hundreds of miles on foot to come to this country, and we're going to send all the support we can to make sure that their claims are adjudicated as quickly as possible because that's the kind of country we are. The bad ones, hey, we're going to find out who they are. They're not getting in. Right. But the decent, hardworking people who want to come here, that's what America's all about, and that's what I'm all about. And that is a message of not of hate, but of love and inclusion, and that's not the message we're getting from this president. Yeah, no, fair, fair enough. Um, I would say, I mean, that was that sort of a line that, again, conservatives, Republicans used to use. Yeah. Uh, you know, when we were growing up in the 80s and 90s, this was the whole idea was, look, we're not the kind of country that, that builds walls to keep our people in. Exactly. Um, we're the kind of place that, that, that people flock to because of, and, and like you, you and I, we had, I had once had a, again, sort of life-defining experience uh, I was at an organization, and a, a speaker was uh, Jean Kirkpatrick, who was the UN ambassador, uh, appointed by Ronald Reagan. She was a conservative Democrat. But on the subject of immigration, uh, said that really the gift that, that immigrants give to Americans, it's not just the hard work, the entrepreneurship, the 
you know, cultural blending, the, what they share, but it's reminding other Americans of the freedoms and the economic Absolutely. opportunities that, yeah. that we take for granted. Yeah. Um, so, I, I mean, I, again, you, you and I, I think, would agree I'd, I'd much rather see a Republican Party that is much more in line with, with that sort of thinking. Um, but, but that's uh, not what we have from the president. That's it's, sure. it's, no, it's not. And, no. Uh, but, so move, moving into the elections, obviously, we have to talk about the election because yeah, they're just sure. a few days away. And, and, and pretty clearly, if you're looking at the polls, uh, pretty much all the polls, there's, there's a, uh, both on the House and the Senate, the view is more or less the same. And there's uh, something like an 85% chance Democrats are going to come out with the majority in the House and about an 85% chance that the Republicans are going to come out with the, that keep the same sure. majority they have in the Senate, thanks to what really is the best the map. map for the Republicans since, I've heard, since 1914, and certainly in a long period of time. And so let's start with the numbers. What do you think about those? Do you, did you do you have faith in those numbers? Do you think those are reasonable forecasts? Is that what you're I, expecting? I, no, I think they're reasonable forecasts. Uh, and again, I'm going not by, you know, because I don't have any special real inside information on sure. this. It's sort of I read, read the same stuff that, that you do, everybody else What's does. your gut tell you, Jay? But my, my gut tells me uh, Republicans barely hold the House. Your gut is very optimistic. Uh, no, I understand I think, you're whistling past I, the graveyard. I think uh, <laughs> the Senate, uh, I think there's probably a three-seat pickup. Okay. Okay. Three seats. Three seats. Wow. Okay. You are going to be so wrong, feeling we'll so see. wrong come Wednesday. But, but my keep in mind, keep, keep in mind, well, you can go with your, your prediction. Let, let me get, let, let me give you mine. Yeah. My, mine is that the Democrats will pick up uh, 40 seats in the House okay. and that the Senate's going to stay the same, unfortunately. So, okay. And that also isn't just what my gut's telling me. It's what the polls are saying. And being a political scientist, I look at what the fundamentals say. And when we look over history at what midterm elections, what happens presidents in midterm elections. Yes. Yeah, they tend to lose seats. And presidents who have an approval rating of under 50%, and Donald Trump would, would I mean, he gets 50% in, in Rasmussen polls every once in a while, and that's the most I, I think the last I saw was something around 44, 46. Yeah, he's low mid-40s, so I think this isn't just me being a, you know, a, a partisan advocate, though you know, there's certainly I hope that's the case, but it's, it's just the, what the political science research and the fundamentals tell us, and I, you know, I, I trust in that, and that's what I expect to, that's what I expect to see. Here's, here's my last question I want to bounce off you, though, um, just to sort of make your liberal head explode. Um, so often we talk about uh, gerrymandering. And the problems that, that it causes. Oh, yeah. And there are, you know, a number of, of lawsuits uh, saying that the, the maps have been unfairly drawn and so forth. Um, if Democrats uh, can pick up the House, uh, yet still lose the Senate, what does that say about the state of gerrymandering and how effective it is or not effective? It doesn't say much of anything. I think if there were 50 Senate races, you'd see a very different map. So I just think it's the fact that the But you can't gerrymander states, though. Right, I understand. I mean, that's, and that's why I'm saying, but for a fair test of that, there'd have to be as many states that Republicans were defending as Democrats were defending. And I know you think gerrymandering isn't a big thing. No, and, I, no I, I absolutely do. Okay, okay. I do. I do. I'm just... I'm. No, I, I don't think it says much just because the map is so 
friendly to Republicans just because sure. they have so much, you know, so much less. Right. Ground. It depends on what ground you're defending versus what ground you're. Yeah. You can. Do, you, know. you know, I actually heard a theory. This is kind of a, a wild theory that that actually President Trump. He he is, and this is a four dimensional chess kind of thing right. again. But that he's actually going to the places he's going because he's mostly going to deep red places. It's not like he's going places where he's not, you know, loved, and he's not going to a lot of the places where it would make the most sense if the Republicans are really trying to hold the House. And so this theory has it that they've given up on that. And actually, the president likes the idea of running against Nancy Pelosi in the Democrat House because oh, that looks better for him in 2020. Oh, absolutely. So, well, and I think there's, there's another piece to it, too, that um, a lot of the swing districts are places where Donald Trump showing up for a campaign event doesn't essentially help the Republican candidate. Yeah, that's a good point. That's or, a good point. or at least helps, helps them less. Yeah. Yeah. You know, another point in that is that the Democrats only need to pick up 23 seats, and there are, I believe, 25 seats where Hillary Clinton won the majority sure. in 2016. So, the, I mean, it just looks really, really favorable, obviously. So let's assume I'm right, because that's a good assumption. Um, let's assume I'm right. What do, you, what do you see coming out of a democratically controlled house? How do you see that playing out? Well, that's that's going to be the, the big question, right? And that's probably a better one for you to answer than, than me. Um, I guess I wanted to how, hear some of your fears How, how, you know, uh, is, uh, how will uh, these Nancy Pelosi govern when you've got this that much excitement? Because the first item on the agenda will be we want an impeachment. Uh, and and that, we, we that, is a, that is a tough sell for the country. Yeah. Uh, there's also the other specter. Uh, Democrats are doing well this this election cycle on the issue of health care. Yeah. Um, and partly that's because they don't have the health care bill. If the Bernie Sanders bill actually becomes the vehicle, uh, I think that's going to be a big problem for Democrats governing. I, well, I think while it's a good, why it's a good issue for them is because they can point to a lot of Republicans who voted for drastic or dramatically weakening o- Obamacare protections, you know, so especially for pre-existing conditions. Sure. But, uh, but, but well, I, Republicans could have better answers for that, and yeah. they're just not giving. But, but, but I think in terms of, you know, we've talked about the impeachment thing, and I think politically that's going to backfire. And I saw that backfire, and we both saw that backfire yeah. on the Republicans, and, and I expect the same thing to happen. Though I'll put a big caveat in there: a lot depends on on what's in the Mueller report. We don't know, obviously, but there are rumors that that's going to be coming out after the election that he's held it. And so I'm not going to make any final judgment. And, and certainly it could be a case where we don't actually even see the vast bulk of that report. So there could be, well, I mean, there could be some sort of, but, you know. But look, regardless of what's in the report, I mean, uh, impeachment uh, is, is something, again, this is something you and I talk about all the time. It's not a legal Remedy. It's a political, it's a political yeah, remedy. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, so what actually is in the report is sort of, you know, doesn't it could be better, it could be worse. Uh, if it's if it's something that's really bad, uh, as in Watergate, and you have Republicans who would go to the president and say, "Look, we can't defend you on this." Yeah. That's one thing. Uh, if it's more of just what we've seen, then. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's just, it's just, it's just politics. Yeah. And my argument is it's bad for the Democrats in at least a couple ways. Number one, if, if it actually succeeds, then you have President, President Pence. Pence, who I think is going to be a lot more effective at doing a lot of awful things. <laughs> so I don't want that, that's for sure. And if it, if it fails, then it's just, yeah, either way, it's just going to rise up, I mean, cause a counter reaction in the Republican base. And I don't want the Republican base, any, at least especially the Trump base, any more energized. I think that's bad for both parties. Well, actually. and there's, there's also th- running throughout um, the 
American voting populace, there is this idea of they don't want to see an election undone. Yeah. And I, even if it's someone you don't like. And, and again, it's one of those when push comes to shove, when you get there, uh, do you want to see an election overturned? Yeah. And most most people don't. And, and in the case of in the case of a Nixon, then the, even Nixon had sort of I don't know if you call it the instincts or the decency, or that's a word you often you don't associate with. Well, just the, resigning the, or, the, or, the, the, or the, the math skills. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, just, so, you know, I mean, but, but you know, Bob Dole went to him and said, "You just don't have the votes. Yeah. It's not going to happen." But you know, Trump, why put why put the country through this? Yeah. But Trump would put the country through it. In a sure. heartbeat. I mean, because, again, Trump's world begins and ends with Donald Trump, and that's the only thing that matters. It's the only thing that will ever matter, and that's why Donald Trump is just a horrendous disaster for the United States. Well, okay. let, me, let me have <laughs> one more thing before sure. we move on to our, our, our questions. I think, I think we're, we're, we're about out of time. But, but, but no, I was just on the, the four-dimensional chess that I didn't get to on the yeah. um, birthright citizenship. If you're a conservative jurist, minded of, of sort of a literal constitution means what it says. Um, and Trump comes out with this, this does, and it, it's sort of the, the response is Democrats have to come out and then say, no, the constitution means what it says. Yeah. <laughs> this is a literal textual interpretation. Um, and that's sort of the 4D chess move on that. Now, again, I, I don't know that he actually thought of that. Maybe someone else did. But. but, but you know, and that's the thing you and I talk about. We come back to that again and again and again, how essentially both sides find their preferred outcome, and then they just use the rationalization, the, and the, the reasoning to get to that point. And the idea of being a, a principled conservative or even a principled liberal, though I think there are more principled liberals these days, but maybe that's just me, that almost seems quaint and old-fashioned. Like, why would you do that? Because the only thing that matters is is being a winner, obviously. Well, I, and we I, can agree on that, right? Right, we can agree. Can and agree so we that. can end on that note well, of agreement. Well, on that note of agreement, yes. Thing. A note of agreement and comedy and all that sort of good stuff. So, all right, well, I guess our time is up, but thank you so much for uh, listening to us gab about politics. Yeah, we really appreciate it. Thanks. That's it for this episode. Thanks for listening. Support from listeners just like you is what keeps the show going, and we truly do appreciate it. If you're interested in joining our great group of Politics Guys supporters, you can go to politicsguys.com and click on the Patreon or PayPal links you'll see there. And if you want to support the show without spending anything, you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Pocket Cast, Stitcher, or whatever other podcast app you use. Share this episode with your friends and followers, and pass along our new show posts and tweets on Facebook and Twitter. Leaving reviews and ratings on iTunes also helps. If you've got a question, comment, correction, or just a random thought you want to share with us, you can reach us at mail at politicsguys.com. Our Facebook page, where you can message us and where we post things throughout the week, is facebook.com slash politicsguyspage. We're also on Twitter, at politicsguys. The executive producers of the Politics Guys are Michael Baranowski, Jay Carson, Trey Orndorff, and Bruce Johnson. Today's show was produced by Michael Baranowski. We'll be back with a new show on Saturday. We hope you'll join us.